0: Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Our Rights Stories, a podcast created and developed by the Just Right Scotland team with your host, Natalia. To start off our second season, we have a special three-part episode series that looks into the Human Rights Bill in Scotland. This long-awaited bill is now in its consultation process. In this three-parter, we are going to explain what a consultation phase is, what is and isn't in the Human Rights Bill, and how those will impact our rights and the following steps that happen after this phase we are focusing on this topic as part of a national campaign which aims to raise awareness about hashtag all our in scotland and why access to justice is a fundamental aspect of this new bill we also provide other organizations involved in this consultation process with information useful and detailed analysis about these proposals and how this represents an opportunity to build a better future for all in Scotland, together. In this final episode of our three-parter, we welcome special guest Sabrina Galiella, who is our Policy and Public Affairs Officer, along with Barbara Bolton, our Legal Partner and Director. This episode will recap the purpose of this bill, impact on policy, some next steps, and things that we hope to see going forward. Sabrina, can you give us... A recap on what is in this consultation and what the government is asking from organizations and individuals.
1: Okay, thanks for this question, Natalia. Well, in a nutshell, this consultation is about bringing more international human rights treaties into our law, into Scots law. So it is about human rights which of course we know are basic freedoms that belong to all of us and are not granted or given by any state. They are an internationally recognised legal minimum and they range from the most fundamental, the right to life, to those that bring dignity to life, Um, for example, the right to food, education, work, health, housing. And those rights come from international human rights treaties And some of those rights have been brought into UK legislation. In fact, the UK has incorporated one international convention into its legal system, which is the European Convention of Human Rights through the 1998 Human Rights Act. Um, The Human Rights Act contains mainly civil and political rights, which are, for example, um, freedom of speech, the right to vote, but also fundamental rights like the right to life, freedom from torture and discrimination. The The Human Rights Act is fundamental because it means that public authorities need to not do anything that is incompatible with these rights and that they, ta- they need to take steps to protect our human rights. It also means that all law needs to comply with it and that when necessary, if necessary, people can take public authorities and government to court in order to protect these rights. Now, as as Barbara has explained in previous episodes, the bill aims to bring into Scots law other four international human rights treaties focusing on economic, social, cultural, environmental rights into Scottish law. And that can happen because the Scottish Parliament has powers under devolution to introduce this kind of legislation. Now, the, the government is consulting on a broad range of issues, asking how to make this work in practice. It is really is quite complex. So they're seeking views, um, for example, on the model of incorporation that we should adopt to who will be responsible to ensure those rights are respected. And then there are also questions about dignity, uh, which is a fundamental principle in international human rights law, or question on participation which you know of course it goes without saying has to be at the heart of this bill and all the processes around it there are also questions on something called minimum core obligations which are baseline levels of each right to be met immediately for everyone all of the time and then very relevant to our work there are questions on access to justice and legal remedies even if disappointingly, um, the consultation really doesn't talk about that enough. Now, the consultation is quite long. Um, There are 44 questions and to respond, uh, the Scottish Government has included an easy read version, a summary guide, a facilitator guide, which can be used, for example, in in group discussions on the consultation and a version in Gaelic. Um, the 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 government has also commissioned together, which is the Scottish Alliance for Children's Rights, to produce a child-friendly version of the consultation. Now, I have to say, having responded to, to a few consultations, that these additional formats and versions are welcome, and they should always be provided. However, I think that the language used in the consultation paper itself is quite complex. And so we Spend considerable time in making that accessible, especially colleagues at the Human Rights Consortium Scotland have done an incredible job over the summer at, at translating, if that's the right word, the consultation. So people who will potentially benefit from this ne- from this new legislation are are well informed about what the government is proposing and how to be involved.
0: That's actually really really, really cool and helpful that they do that. Because I feel like, yeah, with a lot of the words that they would use, it would be extremely inaccessible. Um, So from a policy perspective, what does this consultation mean?
1: Well, people in Scotland have campaigned for years on this. And the need to have this legislation became even more urgent after years of austerity measures, Brexit, and of course, COVID-19, and now the cost of living crisis. On the back of these calls and solid support from Scottish civil society, in 2018, the then First Minister Nicola Sturgeon established the advisory group on human rights leadership. And that was set up to make recommendations on how Scotland can continue to lead by example in the field of human rights, including, of course, economic, social, cultural and environmental rights, and as a first step, it established the National Task Force for Human Rights Leadership, which is also just known as as the task force. And then in March 2021, the task force published their final report, which contained 30 recommendations on how to improve equality and human rights across the devolved areas of, of social, economic, cultural and environmental rights. Now, the task force recommended, implemented four international human rights treaties into Scots law, the International Covenant for Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, which includes things like uh, the right to adequate housing, and the right to food, for example, the Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, the International Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination and the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Also, quite important to highlight, the task force um, recommended to bring into Scots law a right to a healthy environment, which includes really important rights like the right to clean air or safe water, the right to a non-toxic place to live, for example. And it asks for the bill to ensure that LGBTI people and older people have equal access to these rights. These recommendations were then accepted in full by the Scottish Government and enjoy cross-party support in the Scottish Parliament. The Scottish Government has committed to introducing the bill in this parliamentary session, so by May 2026, but it has now been included in the programme for government uh, 2023-2024, so it is expected at some point next year. There are some concerns around how the government can can meaningfully address um, the concerns presented by organizations and individuals in response to the consultation, given they will have a short period of time to do that. So we all need to remain fully involved in the process before the bill is introduced to Parliament.
0: What does the Scottish Human Rights Bill potentially mean for people in Scotland? Can you give an example of a situation where a new bill
1: can make a difference? So the bill means that Scottish government and public authorities, which include um, local councils, the NHS, housing associations, for example, universities and the police, can be held to account for breaching the rights contained in the bill. And that could be enforced in national courts, of course, in relation to the areas, right, including health, housing, education, social security, to name a few. So the bill has the potential to be quite progressive in that sense. Incorporation means bringing into Scots law more human rights, which in turn could mean more accountability, widening access to justice, hopefully strengthening the regard that government and public authorities need to have in relation to human rights and just making it easier for people to name and claim their rights. We can see a worrying regression of human rights protections at the UK level. So it is really quite vital for this bill to be introduced and to be introduced, taking into account the concerns expressed by organizations and individuals right now in this process of the consultation this can be a chance to ensure that no one is left behind. As we have seen how, for example, the pandemic or now the cost of living crisis are having disproportionate impacts on particular groups. For example, um, women, children, people with migration backgrounds or from black and ethnic minority groups, older people, disabled people. And it could mean for human rights to be at the heart of the decision-making process, included in budgets, um, in the design of new services, for example, and the development of all new policies and legislation in Scotland. It's a way to create a stronger culture of human rights or potentially to create that culture where people know about their rights, know if their rights have been breached, and know how to access justice. So potentially the bill can really be a great thing. We just have to make sure the Scottish government takes the time to carefully assess the concerns that have been raised, as the consultation has some serious shortcomings that need to be addressed. As Barbara
0: has mentioned previously, there's a lot of sifting through information and kind of giving a proper response. Can you give us some more information on what else we're doing and why is this so important to us?
1: Well, this is important to us because Just Right Scotland uses the law to defend people's rights, but also to extend people's rights, which is the aim of the proposed bill. We are, of course, responding to the consultation and have worked with partners across the sector to share ideas, to ensure different groups know about the consultation and how to respond, and quite importantly, to share concerns about the proposals and to highlight possible solutions so that the government has a blueprint of what it needs to do to make this the, the progressive bill it was promised to be. We have also worked with our panel Just Citizens and together with my colleague Mariam who leads the project of Just Citizens and more generally participation at Just Right and or from the Human Rights Consortium Scotland we had um, a couple of sessions with the group firstly to introduce the consultation what it came from and what it aims to do and then to get their views and and let me tell you Natalia those meetings were were just great we spoke about the consultation with great candor and transparency and their views are are bold and refreshing. Internally, of course, our CEO, Emma, has written an article for TFN. Our legal director, Barbara, has written an article for the Law Society, but also has written specific blogs on access to justice, which are on our website. And we also engaged directly with the Scottish government and senior civil servants, just having conversations about the bill, how it can be incorporated in Scotland, and sharing concerns and ideas on areas in which the bill can be bolder and progressive.
0: It sounds like they had a lot of time and effort put into developing and getting information from everybody, right? Before initially even giving a bill for consultation, and it sounds like they really kind of dropped the ball on it um and i'm curious like going forward what are kind of like the action plans that follow like what happens now that you know you've seen the consultation or you're going into it and you already know that these things are not in here where does that what what happens next
1: okay so what happens um the consultation closes on october the 5th um after that all the responses will be analyzed and they will inform the draft bill. The Scottish Government has now included the bill in the Programme for Government 2024, so we are expecting it to be introduced to Parliament before summer recess at some point next year. Now, of course, if the bill is passed, it will be the first time international economic, social, cultural and environmental rights will have been incorporated into domestic law Within the UK. And that's really something to celebrate. However, until we get there, we have to make sure we get this process right. That the Scottish Government makes the necessary changes suggested in the consultation responses, that we are involved in the next steps, that we keep having conversations around this, and that we remain clear in our ask that the Scottish Government does the best it possibly can within its devolved powers to ensure this bill is progressive, is ambitious, and does make rights real in Scotland.
0: Continuing the conversation we had last week, as Sabrina mentioned, the consultation had closed October 5th. Barbara, can you explain more about how we will continue to engage with the Scottish government?
2: As I say, Scottish government has set the timetable, but hasn't necessarily done the work on its own side within that timeframe, we will continue to engage with the Scottish Government Bill team, we have been doing that, Um, but it has, we can only go so far on that, because if they don't give us the information, the detail, it's very difficult to engage with and we, we we appreciate that they can't share actual legal advice that they obtain because there's a general principle there and if they were to deviate from that in one case then arguably they'd, they'd have to do that. In other cases, mm-hmm. um, governments need to be able to take legal advice just like any organisation or person. However, they can extract from that legal advice uh, or set out a position taking into account that legal advice and let us see their position without sharing the actual legal advice and they haven't done that and we've been trying to kind of tease that out um, and we'll continue to do that so our position will be what it is and it'll be informed by our own analysis and um, we're told that work continues on access to justice but as i say i really fail to see how we're going to go from that to detailed provisions in a piece of legislation by june we'll continue to press them on giving detailed consideration to the serious barriers in the way of achieving justice in scotland but at the same time what we would like to see as an absolute minimum is uh, a quick commitment that they will put the right to an effective remedy and the specific requirements that that remedy be accessible, affordable, timely and effective on the face of the bill because that will at least hold out the potential for... um, for making use of that part of what's intended to be a framework bill so to have that in the same way as the other rights as a kind of overarching, broad right that is connected to international standards and then to make use of that to push them to bring forward more detailed legislation reforming legal aid which again has been been omitted from the programme for government although it's been promised for a number of years to Um, make our courts more accessible to join our system up so that the burden is not on the individual so that they can start a claim um, anywhere, in any appropriate place and the clock stops um, so that they they don't run the risk that they'll be barred from pursuing another avenue because it's too late. Um, There should be a way of achieving it uh, a system whereby somebody can make a claim um, in any appropriate place and they've, they've started the process um, and it's one connected process and they don't have to start again and again and again in some cases. Um, so we'll continue to press them to, to develop detailed proposals and all of that But in the meantime, one really easy thing that they can do is confirm that they'll put the right to an effective remedy on the face of the bill.
0: Thinking about the bill, what are some things that you would hope to see? So I think that there
2: is still time for the Scottish Government to go further and live up to its commitment to going as far as possible under the constraints of devolution. I think it can look much more closely the rights in these other treaties for women for black and ethnic minority communities for disabled people and for other groups Um, and i'd like to see them demonstrate that they've done that that they have really assessed what they can do within devolved competence and that they're going as far as they possibly can i'd like to see them firm up on a number of areas such as minimum core obligations Um, those are the very minimal essential levels of economic social cultural rights and they're set at an absolute minimum level because internationally they're standards that apply to a whole range of different countries in different situations and in many ways they're too minimal for a country like scotland and i would hope although i don't think we have an actual assessment of this i would hope that scotland's already meeting and beating most or all of those standards so there's risk in incorporating levels that are too low even although they're to be treated as an absolute minimum floor because if we're already exceeding them, we, sh- we need to lock that in and progress beyond. And the rules that will be incorporated should mean that that's the outcome because you have a duty not to regress from where you are. So you, there should be no, retrogressi- no, no deliberately retrogressive measures, meaning you don't take away something that you've provided. Um, unless there's nothing else you can do and you're in really extreme circumstances and you need to progressively realise the the full fulfilment of the rights using the maximum available resources. So really what these rights should mean is that we lock in what we already have to the extent that we're already fulfilling part of these rights and we immediately take steps, very concrete, deliberate steps to move forward towards the goal of full fulfilment. However, the incorporation of the minimum core obligations, there is a risk that that complicates things in terms of how people understand these rights if we're incorporating these really minimal international levels. So what the task force recommended and what the Scottish government agreed to do was to have a participative exercise in Scotland to develop our own minimum levels that would be suitable for a country like Scotland and would take account of where we already are and that would look at what are the absolute minimum levels everyone should have of housing, of food, of water and so on. And it would take into account the perspectives of different groups. That's really important that that process takes into account um, the range of perspectives and particular needs. Um, And another disappointment with the consultation is that it hasn't developed that. So they've undertaken to do it. But two years later, they're not telling us when they would do it or how they would do it. They're not telling us um, if that's something that will be done periodically. Because, you know, do we want to have minimum levels that are set now and in 100 years if the world hasn't imploded due to environmental degradation? Mm. Um in a hundred years we still have those same minimal levels or is this a process that we will reiterate every 10 or 15 years or 20 years. They haven't told us any of that and again it's disappointing because it's such a, a key aspect of this and of these rights um, and again they've had two years and it doesn't appear that they've really done much and again there was a lot of evidence on what that needed to look like. And there are other elements we would like to see that have not been clearly set out in in the consultation or have been omitted altogether. Um, There needs to be a really clear interpretive clause um, that, that covers a number of aspects. And that's important for how anyone understands the bill and the rights in the bill. But it's particularly important for how the courts approach it. And this is all going to be very new for our courts because we don't generally look to international human rights sources because of our dualist system. If it's not in national law, generally we don't apply it. And now we're going to be asking them to look to international sources to help them interpret these rights. So we have to be really, really clear about that. And I think just generally I would say... There's a number of areas where we need a lot more detail and we just haven't been given it. And so unless there is another part of this process, we won't be consulted. There won't be a consultation on on the detail. So we would just like to hear from them about what their plan is for the period between the closure of this consultation on the 5th of October what they propose to do in terms of the analysis, who they've they've instructed to do the analysis of the consultation submissions, what will be the output from that, um, because sometimes the output has been inadequate. They've produced a, an analysis report that doesn't really tell you enough about what people who submitted had to say. Um, and what do they foresee between October and June are we just to sit and wait and a bill will appear or will there be some sort of further consultation because we've only been consulted on these very broad proposals with all of the inadequacies that I've mentioned and if we're to go from that to a bill um, there there will inevitably be quite a lot of surprises in that bill. And that is not necessarily a fair process. And going back to the the very beginning of this where you asked about consultation, effective, meaningful consultation produces better legislation. And the better this legislation can be, you know, it's better for everyone. So We'll just need to see what the Scottish government proposes now that it's announced that the bill will be coming as quickly as June 2024.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Barbara. I think you really laid out the importance of this bill. And I'm kind of curious if you have any tips for like rights holders, like what could we do to kind of keep an eye on what's going on with the Scottish government, if there's any additional support that people can do In order to make this bill better or or for them to really listen to to what's kind of been the feedback they've been given
2: yeah I think there are there are a lot of really active groups um, representing different parts of the population and different communities so definitely if there's a group like that that applies then reach out to them and ask them uh, what they can tell you about this what work they're doing on it There are also a number of uh, kind of umbrella organisations like the Human Rights Consortium for Scotland, um, who are doing a lot of work on it and have a lot of information on their website. Um, um, And we are also trying to make as much information that we have available available. as I say, we've been kind of limited in what we've been able to do and so we have a blog series which is which will be added to over the next couple of weeks because during that period from October to June, whatever the Scottish Government decides to do, civil society will remain active and we will continue to, to work on this and so we'll be continuing to populate that blog. But for the moment, um, there's some information on there about the access to justice um, chapter of the consultation. There's information and we'll be adding more on what we say are the outer limits of devolution and why we say they can go further with some of these other rights. And we will... There's going to be, um, in relation to that as well, a section on why the duty to comply is so important and why the procedural duty and why we say it's so weak. Um, And there'll be other aspects we'll be adding to.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much.
2: No problem. It's been really lovely to chat to you again, although I've done most of the talking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like I'm in school and I'm learning everything. It's great. Thanks again to Sabrina and Barbara for joining us on this episode series to kind of give us more information about what is the Human Rights Bill, what does consultation mean, what's missing, what are some of the gaps, how this impacts policy, how this is seen from a policy lens, some next steps following the consultation closing, and also some things to look forward to, some hope, and also just flagging a lot of resources for us to follow so we can learn more and keep up with this ongoing process definitely check our show notes to get links to everything and as well as our social media make sure to follow so you're keeping up to date with any of the latest news regarding our continued work on the scottish human rights bill like always listeners don't forget to like comment share and subscribe to this podcast Don't forget, you can always listen back to season one on our Podbean website, any podcast streaming services, and also make sure to follow our social media pages and we'll catch you next time.